kind of themes. First of all, there's the preparation of the Passover. Matthew 26, 17, it says this, on the first day of the festival, the unleavened bread. We talked a lot about this. Again, this is just a review, so I'm not going to go in deep. The disciples came into Jesus and asked him, where do you want us to make the preparations? So the Passover is coming. Literally, the Passover is coming. The ultimate Passover is coming. There is Jesus Christ and their disciples. Where do you want us to make preparations? Preparations need to be made. A big part of the Passover and the big part of the celebration is the preparation thereof. And then when you actually consume the Passover lamb, it was meant to be done in haste. In fact, let's just read as a reminder the verses that we looked at in Exodus 12. And these are just portions, bear in mind, uh, just to get a gist of what we looked at in Exodus 12. It says this, this is the command that, um, given to Moses, to tell the whole community of Israel to take a lamb for his family, one for each household, and the animal you choose must be year-old males without defect. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on its sides and tops of the door frames, the houses where they are to eat the lambs. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. So this is, the, again, I know I, I had to chop it up for time's sake, but this is the idea. The whole community was supposed to prepare. Be prepared. And that's kind of what we just learned with those last kind of parables, remember? Oh, be prepared. Jesus coming back again. Be prepared. So even with this moment of Passover, great preparation was needed. You know, the, the lamb was for the family, so make sure you take enough for everyone, what they require, what they need, so they all can consume what they need. So the lamb is for all the people, the family. Um, and again, the, the lamb was to be without defect, spotless lamb. And again, you know, we can see the clear parallels of this lamb, and we have already went through quite a bit last week. I'm not going to do it again this week. But one of the key ones is without defect, without sin, without error, without blemish. Okay? It's a proper sacrifice. It's a proper loss. is isn't that you have a, a lame, inconvenient lamb that you're sacrificing. You're, you're sacrificing the best of the best of the best. And in fact, Jesus Christ is the best of the best of the best. He is spotless. He is without error, without guile. And that is the Passover lamb. And then it's interesting. We talked about how the shape of the cross is on the blood. And you put the blood on the top. And then on the sides of the doorposts. And you can kind of see in your mind how that's the cross. So it's cool, so interesting to see how everything points to the ultimate. I call it, I call it the cross, the ultimate Passover, by the way. Because it is. It's, it is the Passover fulfilled. And so I call it the ultimate Passover. In this communion session, or this Last Supper, or this you know, final Passover that we're seeing here in Matthew, it, it points to the ultimate sacrifice. The ultimate Passover. What is passing over? It's when that angel of death came to judge Egypt. But those who had the blood sprinkled on their homes, the judgment was passed over. When you have Jesus Christ in your life as your personal Lord and Savior, sealed by that Spirit, judgment that is due on the wickedness of the world, and that includes our own misdoings, our own sin, our own errors, our own trouble, that too, by the faith and the trust in God, you know, by receiving the blood of the Lamb in your own life personally, individually, the judgment of God passes over us. And we can be rest assured that that is the truth. So, that's the Passover Lamb. Also, we see the Lord's chosen Lamb. And the Lamb that, that God chose for the ultimate Passover is Jesus Christ. In Matthew 26, 30, 23, it says, Jesus replied, The one who has dipped his hand into the bowl 
with me will betray me. And the Son of Man will go just as is written about him. We talked about how Judas was used as a tool. You know what I'm saying? To bring about the events. But it's a part of the preparation. Yeah, what he did was wrong. And what he did, he had great regret and remorse for. But it wasn't out of God's control. Okay? This is a part of God's plan. He had to be betrayed. And Judas, his heart was wrong. And he, had to, he has to answer for his sin. Because he wasn't faithful and trusting. But still, we talked about good tools. And we talked about, or positive tools. We talked about negative tools. Judas was certainly a negative tool. And he was used to orchestrate the will of God. And is preparing this preparation of the Lamb. Who is the Lamb? Jesus. A part of the preparation is that he had to be delivered. You know what I'm saying? How do we get brought to the altar to be slain? And this is a part of the preparation. And so that's what we talked about last week. Now we're going to go, let's look at the, the next slide. Because he says here also it was written about him. There's so many verses all through the Bible. We talked about Genesis 3.15, how it talked about like, you know, the battle plan. How Satan's going to nip at Jesus' heel, but ultimately Jesus is going to crush him in the head. And that's what we see on the cross. Yeah, it hurt a little bit. Judas's betrayal must have hurt him deeply emotionally. And also the beatings and the lashings and this hurt Jesus deeply, physically. But that was ultimately just the nipping at the heel of Satan. What Jesus did on the cross crushed Satan. And so we see that as early as Genesis chapter 3. But here in Isaiah, and Isaiah 53 is a beautiful, we all know Isaiah 53. It's very popular. And we're going to see it a lot in the next few chapters. Because it, it, it's all about the cross. It's all about this proper, ultimate sacrifice. This Passover, the ultimate Passover sacrifice by the Lamb who was chosen by God, His Son, Jesus Christ. And so it says again as a reminder in 53, Isaiah 53, 1-5. Who has believed our message? To whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in the dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and he was rejected. A man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. Again, Satan nipping at his heels, yeah? He was despised. He was rejected. A man of sorrows acquainted with the deepest grief. Satan taking his little jabs at Jesus. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet, yet, this is the reason, this is the plan, this is God's idea. This is what God had intended with this ultimate Passover sacrifice. Yet, it was our weakness he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. Okay? Jesus was spotless. Jesus was perfect. He was the chosen ultimate sacrifice. He did not die for his own sake. He died for our sake. For our weakness. For our shortcoming. For our sin. He died for our sorrows. Our depression. Our anxiety. Our mental health issues. He died for our weight. The things that weigh us down. He died for us. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God. Oh, Jesus, you know, he, he messed up somehow. Why is Jesus on the cross? He must have done something wrong. He must have displeased God the Father somehow. False. 
Was it a punishment for his own sin? That's what we thought, we being in the present tense there, if we were there at the moment, looking at Jesus. Well, why did Jesus die? Did he fail? I thought he was the Messiah who was going to come and deliver us. Where is the deliverance? I don't see deliverance. All I see is death. That's what they thought. But what he was doing with this sacrifice was crushing Satan's head. But he was pierced. Pierced. Wounded. Injured. Destroyed. Thrashed. Killed. For our rebellion. Our rebellion. And yes, I hate to say it, we're all rebellious. We all turn our backs on God and do things our way. We all, at some point, either in the past, in the future, in the present even possibly, are in, in a place of rebellion where we're saying no to God. God's speaking and we're saying nah. We're rebellious. That's, where, that's the ultimate source of sin. And the thing is, Paul made it very clear that we're all sinful. We're all sinful. That's why we need the cross, because we're all sinful. And the ultimate starting point of sin is rebellion or disobedience. That's what we see even in the original sin, where Satan tempted Eve. And Eve says, well, God said this, but I'm going to just say, nah, I'm going to do it my own way. That's rebellion. And it starts as, as, as early as the original sin in the garden. But, it, but that's okay. Because see, our rebellion, Jesus paid the price for our rebellion. What I am concerned about is living a life of perpetual rebellion because that just cheapens the cross. But that's what the cross did. It's okay to be rebellious, but we need to turn. We repent because that's what he died for. He died to clean that, to correct it, to fix that rebellion, that sin. He was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. What we didn't get a chance to look at last week, what we're going to do now is look at the blood and what the blood actually does. In the next slide, please. So, Matthew 26, which is our text for this morning. Starting now at 26, looking at 26 and 27, it says this. While, and this, again, this is the disciples with Christ in that upper room, having this final Passover, or this first communion service, whatever you want, you want to look at it, it's generally called the, you know, the, the, the Last Supper. But you know what we're talking about here. It's, it's the Passover celebration. It's where we also get our communion, you know, the idea of our communion celebrations from that we still practice today. But this is it. They were eating together. Jesus took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Again, we know this, because we do this every time we have communion, which is cool that we're doing this right now. Because last week we talked about this, this week we're talking about it, and next week we're going to have communion. So that's kind of cool that it worked out that way. But here he says, This is my body. Imagine being with the disciples sitting around that table. And like eating, and like, oh, this is great. The Passover. We love the Passover. This is fun. This is great. This is, brings like memories. It, 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 it was intended to remember the deliverance so many years ago. This is a great celebration. But then Jesus started getting really morbid on them. <laughs> you see this bread? I'm breaking it up. That's my body. Well, come on, Jesus. Don't bring us down. This, I mean, you're talking about being betrayed. Now you're breaking up bread and your body. But the thing is, that's, that's the plan. That's the plan. That's what's happening right before them. Take and eat it. This is my body broken, but it's for you. It's for your benefit. So take it, eat it, celebrate. This is good news. This is excellence. Again, Isaiah 53. Very important scripture, Isaiah, this one. And this is verses 5 and 6. It says, but he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. Okay, guys? 
That's the purpose of the cross. This ultimate sacrifice by the ultimate perfect spotless lamb, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, all of us. And I said it before, I mentioned Paul's perspective on it. Now here is Isaiah's perspective, well, which he's a prophet, so it's ultimately God's perspective, <laughs> right? All of us. Yes, all of us. In case if you aren't sure who that includes, that includes you. All of us. Includes me. All of us. Like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Again, didn't he say it's about rebellion and being disobedient, doing our own thing? Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. Yet, but here's the good news. All that messing around, he laid it all on the, on the back of Jesus Christ. As he was being whipped, as he was being beaten, as he was being crushed for our sins, we were being made whole, we were being made healed, and frankly, we were being forgiven, brought back into a relationship with God. Wow, isn't that crazy? And then he took the cup. And when he had the cup, he, he gave thanks. And he gave it to them, the disciples. Again, he didn't take it for himself. He gave it. It's for the disciples. It's for the others. This is for your benefits. Saying, drink from it. Partake of it. This is my blood. Again, I don't believe that this was actual blood. I believe this was wine. <laughs> he was drinking. Okay? But it's symbolic. And the symbol is very important. Symbols are important. They're all through the Bible. What does the blood or the, the wine represent? It represents the blood that was actually going to be spilt. We know that blood was spilt because he died on the cross. When we died on the cross, he bled. That's an actual fact. But that event was meant to heal. So when they're taking the ceremony, which is symbolic, the body symbolizing or a symbol pointing to his beating, the blood, you know, the, or the wine, which is an indicator, a pointer towards his blood. When we, and so even today when we take the bread, even if it is crackers or whatever, or wafers or whatever you want to be, like, you know, whatever, I don't care what you take, it still points to the same thing. He was beaten up. He was bruised. He was thrashed. Now, and so, so when we take communion, it's a real thing. Symbols are important. Symbols are real. It may not actually turn into you know, his body in your, in your guts, that's kind of weird, you know, if you thought that, but, you know, I mean, that's not actually happening. What's happening is he did die. He did do that. That's real. That's reality. And what we're doing is we're remembering it. Okay, we're partaking with that event. And then we drink the cup. Now, we drink Ribena or something when we do communion. They had wine, but it doesn't matter. The symbol remains the same. It points to the real event. His blood really did. His real blood really did spill. It really did pour out. For what? Forgiveness. Forgiveness. Again, all this is about us in our rebellion. This is all about us in our disobedience being forgiven, being made right. Why? Because that lamb, Jesus Christ, submitted. Submitted to the abuse. Submitted to the torture. Submitted to the preparation. Submitted to the death. Submitted to the altar to be a sacrifice for us. The blood. So, again, what does the blood do? Next slide, please. This is what blood does. Again, in Exodus 12. It says in verses 12 to 13. On that night, I will pass through the land of Egypt and strike down every firstborn son and every firstborn male animal in the land of Egypt. This is God's judgment on Egypt. Again, this is a foreshadowing. Okay, A future event that points to 
or a past event rather, that points to a future event. And that's the day of the Lord, the day of God's judgment upon the world, right? And so here we see judgments. So we might be afraid of judgment. Well, what about us, God? Are we going to be judged for our sins? Well, we know the answer because we've been in church long enough to know that, no, that's what we're talking about here. Jesus Christ took that judgment. If we've taken Jesus, he's taken the judgment. But here it is. Here's like that foreshadowing that's happened many, many, many years ago in Egypt. The, 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 the angel of death, the judgment that came to Egypt, it went through and it wiped out the firstborn son of every family. And even the, even the animals suffered the judgment. He says, I will execute judgment against all the gods of Egypt. All your rebellion, all your disobedience, all your turning away from me, I am going to come down on it and come down hard on it. Marking the house where you're saying, okay, no, I'm sorry, but the blood. Oh, forget that, because I am the Lord. So yes, by the way, the reason why I'm doing it is because those are fake and I'm real, right? Just a side note. I'm executing judgment upon all the your false, your bogus gods, because the reality is I am the Lord, Jehovah, Yahweh. You know, that I am the self-existent one. All those are made by human hands, human imagination, human creativity. I am God. I precede all humanity. I precede all of creation. I am the ultimate, the only true chief God. That's what he's declaring here. And I'm going to judge. But, and here's, I, again, we need to kind of get into the communion thing where Jesus' disciples were. And we need to get into it today and, and, and bring this into the 21st century. But the blood, again, the blood, what's the blood to you? The blood, the sacrifice, the blood on the doorsteps were to serve as a sign. Again, signs, signs are important. They're meaningful, they're important. So when the angel of death saw these signs, he passed over. So you need to take that blood in faith, display it on the doorposts. Marking the houses where you are staying. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. Again, what is Jesus doing here at this Passover? He is providing the blood on the cross. We have to ask ourselves, how do we display the blood, right? How do we live our lives? You know, is, is that blood represented in, in my life? And when we take communion, that's why there's a lot of self-reflection. And we're going to look at that when we look at 1 Corinthians. There's a lot of self-reflection, like... God, I surrender to you. Please fill me with your spirit. Please change me, make me like you. No longer like me who is, tends to be rebellious and disobedient and doing things my own way. I want to live for you, Christ. And that's what the blood does. The blood gives that healing, forgiving relationship so we can walk with him. And now God's with us. And when we talk about God being with us, we're talking about being spirit-filled. Like we see on Pentecost. When the people were of, of the church, the disciples were properly filled with the Spirit. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. Again, no judgment. No longer any judgment. If you, the, that blood of Christ has, has delivered you, if you receive that gift of this sacrifice, there's no more judgment. I will pass over you. This plague of death will not touch you when I strike the land of Egypt. Again, a lot of this is kind of comparative. You know, kind of looking at the figurative nature of these scriptures, kind of applying it to today. And even when Jesus was speaking with his disciples. But very important, very profound. Again, what does the blood do? Leviticus 17.11 says again what the blood does. For the life of the body is in the blood. I have given you the blood on the altar to purify you, making you right with the Lord. That's pretty simple. Life comes from the blood. 
the blood of an animal is basically stolen from the animal, taken from the animal, to give life to a sinner. That's, that's kind of basically what it's saying here in Leviticus. It's meant to purify you. You're a sinner. You take the life of another animal, you take it on yourself, you get credit for it, that animal loses its life, but you get life. Purification. You made right for the Lord. That's what blood does. That's what we're seeing with Jesus Christ on the cross. Next slide, please. So the Old Covenant, and this is, these, are, these are portions I've taken out of Hebrews chapter 9, okay? So the first one I want to look at is Hebrews 9, verses 19 to 22. And this, this describes this Old Covenant. It says that when Moses had proclaimed every command of the law to all the people, again, guys, here's the law, and it was long, and it was exhaustive, and it was detailed, and it was very formal. Now go out and obey the law. And we know that it couldn't be done. We know it couldn't be done. There was going to be a lot of messing up. And because of that, we needed to have some kind of contingency program. If someone messes up and doesn't obey the law 100%, becomes unrighteous, how do we make them righteous again? Well, you go out and you have these animal sacrifices. That's what they did, the blood, right? So he took the blood of calves together with water, scarlet wool, and branches of hyssop, and sprinkled the scroll on all the people. And he said, this is the blood of the covenant which God had commanded you to keep. In the same way he sprinkled with the blood both the tabernacle and everything used in its ceremonies. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. So again, the blood, cleansing, purifying, redeeming, this, the loss of a life brought, cleaning, brought, brought purity, brought forgiveness, brought cleanse, a cleansing, moral cleansing, of the sinners who disobeyed God and turned their back on God. So again, I put this little flow chart here just to make it kind of clear. So in the old, we have an agreement to obey the law. But yet, unfortunately, we have total failure on man's part. Yeah, couldn't do it. So then justice is, is needs to happen. What happens? Either you have to pay the price for your wrongdoing by receiving God's judgment, or something else has to take that punishment for you either the sacrificial lambs or the ultimate sacrificial lamb, Jesus Christ. Blood is required. Blood is for the cleansing, the cleansing of the soul, the moral cleansing. Without it, there is no forgiveness. Blood is required. But now we have the new covenant. Now we have Jesus Christ in this very moment as he's sitting around this table with his disciples. And he's discussing, this is the new covenant, guys. It's all about my blood and my body. You don't have to worry about that temple thing anymore. We've got a new covenant, a new agreement. That's what covenant means. It means an agreement between us and God. And here's a new agreement. And it's found in Hebrews 9.15. For this reason, Christ is the mediator. Okay, mediator means he's the go-between. He is that path. When, he's, when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, there's no other way to God beside me, he really meant it. That's another word for mediator. I am the way. You want to get to God, you want to talk to God, you can't go up any other path, any other way, any other system. You must come to me. I am, I am, I am the way that God prepared. I was the chosen path. God said, well, yeah, I see humanity has a problem. I'm going to deliver humanity. Here's, here's how I'm going to do it. I'm using Christ. He's the mediator of a new covenant. Those who are called may receive the promise 
our promised eternal inheritance. And we've talked about this internal inheritance before. It's the promise of God's kingdom to inherit what was intended when God created initially the heavens and the earth before it fell apart. Now that he had died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. So we have the first covenant and the new covenant. The first covenant was too difficult. It was unsatisfactory. But the new covenant, this new agreement, Jesus dying as a ransom, like a ransom. It's almost like we were, I like that word ransom because it's like we were captive. We were held captive by the enemy, which, which is true. Held captive by the enemy. But then Jesus came and said, here, here's the ransom. Now let my people go. Which is what he said back in Egypt. Now let my people go. And that's us. Jesus paid the price. The price was precious. It was the blood. The blood of Jesus Christ. Now let my people go. So they can have a clear path to God. Restore relationship with him. They are set free. We are set free from the bondage of the old, of the first covenant. Which was difficult. Which was impossible. So the flow goes like this from here. So blood's required with a new one. And the new covenant is Christ dying. He provided the blood. This sacrifice satisfies even the old requirements. Again, we need the blood. Jesus provided that. And now we are totally, utterly free and forgiven because of what Christ provided for us. Next slide, please. So we, there's a right attitude. We talked about attitudes a lot in a couple weeks ago, about the attitudes of, you know, we talked about like Judas and how his attitude was, was pretty rotten. And, and when we have, you know, the modern day Passover, which, you know, communion, when we take communion, and we do that next week, there is an attitude that we take when we go to communion because of what has happened, of what is going on, what's actually, what's what Jesus, what God is doing in and amongst us. And, and the right attitude is self-observation, reflection, if you will. It's about where am I? And again, you know, even with the old Passover, there was an element of preparation and, and attitude and, and, and a huge amount of obedience. This is what God has asked to do. This is what we will do. And so with this, that too is necessary. Am I in step? Am I right with God? Self-observation is very important when we are still practicing the this act of Passover, which, or the, the memories of the Passover, which we call communion. And so Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11, talking about this right attitude, he says in verse 27, So anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of a Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. That is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. For if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you're eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. Again, a lot of this has to do with judgment. Being spared from judgment because of the land that was provided. But if you do it dishonoring the lamb, then you have to run the potential risk of receiving a kind of judgment. And that's exactly what happened to the church in Corinth. They were, the, they were mega hypocrites. Paul, if you look at 1 Corinthians, 
even Second Corinthians, huge moral issues, moral corruption to the max. It even even at this important time of sitting and reflecting upon Jesus and his offering of his body on the cross during communion, they were taking advantage of each other. They were harming one another. They were they they, they, they were honoring and respecting what it was happening, the symbolic nature of it. They were abusing the situation. And that is morally wrong. And because of that, it affected the church locally. That is why many of you, he says, are weak and sick. And some have even died. This is the church he's talking about here. These are the people that are delivered by God's judgment. Why are they becoming sick? Why are they becoming weak? Why are they dying? Because they didn't get it. They didn't get it. They were abusing God's grace. They were cheapening God's grace. And they weren't honoring him the way they were supposed to. Because again, the practice of communion is about self-observation. Dying to oneself, giving us to Christ. If someone comes in or a group of people comes in and just abuses it and it affects other people, no one's going to get it. No one's going to get it. And that whole thing is a waste. And that's the important thing about worship, that we don't distract ourselves and distract other people. Because we want to fall before the Lord, to hear from Him, to get close to Him, to draw to Him. These distractions do nothing but bring harm. But if we would examine, only if we would examine ourselves, to stop and look at oneself, we would not be judged by God in this way. Yet, when we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned along with the world. Interesting, that last one. There's a distinction between judgment and condemnation. The world is condemned, which means it has no hope. The world has no hope. It is condemned. Condemned is a fancy word for saying, equivalent to like saying damned. It means its place, its ultimate destination is complete hopelessness. Hell. Destruction. It's not... It's despair. But for the church, we don't have that condemnation. We're saved, we're rescued. But there's other things that can get in the way. If we sin as Christians and think there's no consequences for sin, we're fooling ourselves. That's basically what I see in this. You know what I'm saying? If we allow ourselves as Christians, we may not go to hell, but if we play a fool on this world, and we wonder, why am I sick? Why, am, why, is, why is this going on? Why am I, is my marriage falling apart? Why is my relationships falling apart? Well, it's because this very likely could be the consequences of you as a Christian practicing sinful habits. That's what's going on here in the church, in Corinth. They thought just because they were covered by the Lamb of the Cross, they can do whatever they want without any moral implications. Go out and sin freely, and then just trust that God will forgive you, and he will forgive you, but he never said there will be no consequences to your sins. He never said that. And even forgiveness requires a repentance, an asking. So if you're truly repentant, you're not going to return to that sin easy-ozy. That's a problem. They just made a license for themselves to sin freely. So there was no repentance. So there may be very likely not true genuine forgiveness of sins because there's no repentance. And then, of course, we see the consequences. And so I kind of summed it up in the bottom there is we have already discovered judgment is due to everyone. We know that. This, the judgment, the divine wrath of God which leads to condemnation if we're not covered by the blood of the Lamb. 
those who participate in the Passover, these, this church here in Corinth, without actually honoring Christ, and I'm assuming it could be a lot of things like maybe resisting the work of the Holy Spirit in one's life. God's trying to do something with your life. If you're disobedient, if you're rebellious, rejecting it, then you're going to have to pay the consequences of that rebellion. There is suffering in the consequences of the rebellious sin, even if they are not condemned by outright rejecting Christ. So they are not like the world who reject Christ, they receive Christ, but yet they're playing the fool, if you will. And that is Paul. Paul is saying to the church, guys, come on, get, it, get yourself sorted. Get it together. Stop playing the fool. I am, again, horribly out of time. I only have one slide left, and I'm going to keep it. So if you can just tap, tap it twice. So miss the next one. Yeah, we'll end with that. Um, it may not make sense to you because I didn't do the last slide, but there's a picture of the cross. Um, it's okay because the next, next little bit where he, where he basically um, says, uh, next time I take this cup, I'm going to take it with you, you know, in my Father's kingdom. I'll, I'll talk about that because I'm out of time next time when we, we meet, and we'll go on from there, okay? But here's, here's an indication what we're going to talk about. Things are going to change. And that's a beautiful thing. Again, the disciples are probably thinking, okay, another year of Passover, another year of doing what we do every year, same old, same old, same old. But God has plans that will radically change things. He will drop the bomb whenever he wants to. At the cross at Calvary, he dropped the bomb. Of course, the target was Satan. <laughs> you know, it was crazy. Things are about to change. Jesus says, here I am, guys. This Passover taken out, this is the last Passover ever. Imagine, imagine having a communion and say, this is the last communion ever. The next communion we're going to have will be with Jesus in his eternal kingdom. Whoa, that's surreal. But that's exactly what was happening with these guys. It's like this Passover we're taking right now, it's not going to be like this ever again. Because I'm going to fulfill the old covenant and bring on a new one. Isn't that exciting news? So every time we take communion, we can think, well, this could be the last one. That we take it without him, you know, physically being with us. He could be taking communion with us. You know, having wine with Jesus and, and you, know, you know, partaking in the in festivities with Jesus in person. Imagine that. But next week, we might have communion without him. Well, we have, okay, in those verses we see, we do have communion with Jesus every single time. Because we're two or more gathered, he's there, and we know that. And the thing is, I, I want to talk about that more next week, like I said. I'm already jumping the gun. But the reality is, it's just exciting just to see what God's doing. There he is, something very exciting. He's not done. He's not done. He does exciting things still. He's here. He's with us. He's doing something. But, but things can change drastically at any moment. Like they did on the cross 2,000 years ago. Something to think about. But I'll talk more about that in detail in two weeks' time. Let's bow our heads and pray.